Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. And, of course, we are going to dig into analytics to explain this crazy four-game start to the season for everybody and why things are the way they are. And nobody can better do that than Seth Walden from ESPN, does analytics. And, by the way, Seth, the stuff you've been putting out, it's, it's been good for the last what three four years stuff you're putting out this analytical stuff this this month this month and so in this season has been fantastic thanks john that's really kind of you to say i appreciate that well because that's what i wanted to get into because again it seems like you were able to figure out what maybe a lot of other people figured out for example all right we we all know that Mike Nolan is trying to put in a hybrid three four four three. Communication is bad, efforts bad, all those different things. But you identified one of the big problems that's there by you know listing three. I think what three of the lowest rated uh, defensive tackles, uh, including Don Terry Poe of the seventy eight that you had. Uh, that they're and they're they're the ones getting the least as far as push and wins as far as winning the battle against blockers. Yeah, that's right. I was pretty blown away. We have this stat, run-stop win rate, which basically measures uh, how well how well linemen are able to affect the run game, not just tackles, but like, are you able to get off your block to affect the play? Um, are you maybe maybe you push? Can you push your blocker deep so that it disrupts the play? Those kinds of things. And three of the five bottom interior guys are on the Dallas Cowboys, like you mentioned, uh, Dontari Poe among that group. And you know what? Today, I didn't even realize this when I tweeted that yesterday. Today, I looked at our, our inverse, the pass, uh, pass rush win rate, and same, so almost the same thing in that when you look at the interior guys, the Cowboys have two of the bottom five. So uh, that is a serious problem. I mean, you, can't have, you can't have zero from that interior line. Yeah, in fact, what, would that be Connor McGovern? Because, again, they've lost their two tackles for the season, and Joe Looney's going to be out the center for, what, two to three weeks with a knee injury. So I can't imagine it's Zach Martin. So is that uh, Connor McGovern? That's the one? Oh, no, I was talking about, uh, like, on the for the defensive interior. Oh, defensive in interior, okay. Pass, in terms of their pass rush. Yeah, yeah. On their offensive line, yeah, they got problems, too. Though I will say this, Tyler, the, I, I, Tyler Biotis from uh, Wisconsin, he's only played, like, a game and a half. He's got a lot of double team help, but he's but he's but he's it's been good results so far. So I would say that's like if the Cowboys fans out there are listening for like any bit of hope, he might offer some of that. But he's gotten a lot of help so far. Yeah, of course. I know following the draft as closely as I did, I know that they they got a steal in the fact that uh, Tyler dropped down there because and I know how. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that in the war room there was even though it wasn't a war room, it was all you know by Zoom and everything else. They were had to be celebrating because you know to get him and that's that's the thing that was so unique about that draft. And I think he fits the bill. Is that uh, this was perhaps the deepest draft. I know uh, Eric DaCosta brings this up. The deepest draft for second-round picks he can ever remember because, you know, a guy like Tyler in a normal year might be a second-round pick, but, you know, there were so many that dropped into the third round and some even into the fourth. Yeah, absolutely. And it just felt like with the Cowboys, too, that that they did just kind of get all these guys that fell down the draft, so there was kind of, like, value for them in all these rounds. I like getting a guy like... Uh, like Diggs in the second, that 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 like you like you mentioned, the center from Wisconsin, even Lamb in the first, it was all just guys that kind of just slipped to them. 
yeah, it was a kind of amazing to see, you know, the the luck that they got on that. But of course, what when you look at the whole defense, what do you see in analytics aside from the defensive tackles that's gone so wrong? Well, I think it's 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 kind of everything. Uh, it's not just the defensive tackles. Like I think that one difference for me that I've seen is that uh, I think the loss of Robert Quinn is really hurting them as well because last year when they had Lawrence, who's a guy that we we see gets a lot of pressure, but doesn't you know he, he doesn't have the traditional sack numbers uh, as much, but he does affect the game quite a bit. Quinn is a guy who does get you know both pressures and sacks. Uh, he was a pretty effective piece for them and helped them have a pretty solid pass rush. And without him, it just hasn't been there. And then, I mean, I think, I think the, the pass defense, like the secondary, that's pretty clearly has been, uh, you know, has been a, a pretty, pretty big weakness for them, uh, oh, you know, this year as well. So it's kind of all the, the whole thing is a problem. I know, I know Jalen Smith obviously has been in the spotlight uh, as well. So I think with that Dallas defense, I would say there's a lot to worry about there. Oh, yeah. And of course, I mean, the fact that they're trying to do hybrid 4 3 3 4 stuff that really doesn't fit the way this talent base has been built because I mean they've been built like with the Rod Marinelli solid uh, 4-3 defense you know the, the defensive end put their hands in the ground and I know that you know both uh, Lawrence and Griffin complained about that trying to convince them it's like no I don't want to play with my hand up I want to play with my hand on right hand on the ground yeah that's right and Gr- Griffin I think has been a pretty big disappointment I you know I do think he has a sack but it, but in terms of like how fast are you actually winning our numbers show Griffin as a as a huge disappointment so far. So I think that that is a that is a problem for them. For, let's say analytically break this down because again we're seeing scoring at the all time level that we've ever seen. You know I know that uh, uh, Andrew Siciliano tweeted out last week that you have to almost back to the 1961 AFL to have numbers like you're seeing right now, which is pretty long time and pretty different league. But uh, what 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 are you seeing as far as as far as because uh, one one thing I noticed because I've watched it now with Seattle schedule i mean you take on atlanta you got young cornerbacks okay now mm-hmm. they get minnesota coming in with three young cornerbacks the youngest cornerback group in the league you know you had uh, miami who didn't have byron jones and then you had uh, you know it was a good cornerback group with new england but what are you seeing as far as what's going on in the secondaries that's allowing so many yards and points you know that's a good point. i think passing your appearance defensive pass interference i think I think I should make sure I have this right. I think it's up a little bit. It is, and I think that's a and, and that's a factor. And I think that especially coupled with a couple with the the holding offensive holding calls being way down, like those two things together. I mean, that just puts so much stress on. If you're talking about young corners, right? Like now the opponent's going to have more time if the, if if offensive linemen are able to get away with holding a little bit more. It just it just creates a way worse situation for defensive backs. And so, to me, I think that's like the biggest thing in terms of why scoring's up. I think there's some other stuff like fourth going, you know, teams being much more aggressive on fourth downs. And actually, um, the NFL's director of analytics put this out there the other day. I thought that it was it's not just that they're going for fourth downs, but teams are converting those fourth downs at a at a really high rate. 
this year. And so all those things are going to contribute to a, a higher scoring environment. Yeah, on, on the fourth downs, I think more, normally they're like a 40% shot. So if it's above that, I know we talked to LaDainian Tomlinson the other day about the holding. And of course, what, there's only been 102 uh, holding penalties marched off. Uh, and when I and I've, I've been charting this for probably eight to nine years. If you have a, a, an official like Gene Sterator who doesn't call many holding penalties or doesn't call many penalties, period, the score jacks up maybe as much as seven points over somebody on an officiating crew that calls a lot of penalties. And I think we had an example last night with Kemp out there. I mean, he called what about eighteen penalties, and there's like four to six holding penalties. When you see that, the numbers come down. But when you see the holdings down and the penalties down, you get the idea that you're going to score more points. And Ladanian Thomason made the point. The reason for that is that quarterbacks can then get into a consistent rhythm because they don't mm-hmm. have those drive killers that makes sense i mean i hadn't really like thought of it like i would if you'd asked me before the season would more would more penalty or would fewer penalties uh help you know help i guess i would probably have guessed but i mean it makes perfect sense what you're saying well in fact one of the things i purposely didn't do because i didn't want to get in trouble in my espn days you know is publish that stuff because honestly the betters would eat this stuff up because if you know what crew is coming in and you know if it's like a, a steratoric crew that's not going to call penalties of course gene's no longer he's over at cbs right now and he's a pittsburgh guy so i'm tied in with him but it's like uh, if you do that i mean you you can have higher scoring games where the guys that call more penalties you have lower scoring games Oh no, that is like you know I go I do, that for sure would be is huge betting information. I do some of our deal like I've gone daily wager occasionally and write some of our betting stuff and like yeah I mean the referees you know when they're having that much impact on the game that's that's important gambling information. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. It's like what what else are you see analytically that uh, is causing the uh, you know the higher scores and the better quarterback play. Well, I'm sure you guys talk about this, but with Seattle, I think it's pretty clear the the, the massive shift towards early down passing, which has uh, been the thing that some folks have called for for a long time from that team. But it, it seriously improves the offense, you know, and their offensive outlook just because you're taking advantage of not only the inherent advantages of the passing game over the running game, but that a team like that is playing to its strength suddenly and that it has one of the best quarterbacks in the league and actually using him. So like when teams are playing more optimally offensively, that's just going to lead to more production. I mean, like the difference this year between Seattle pass plays and Seattle run plays in terms of expected points added is like four tenths of a point. So every time they pass instead of run this season, it's been, it's like, you know, four tenths of a point. That's a little high. Last year, it's more like it'd be more like a fifth of a point. But still, like those are that's points you're adding onto the scoreboard cumulatively over time when you pass more than you run. Well, and it's funny because I know I was looking at the first down numbers uh, at the end of week four, and obviously the highest quarterback rating went to Jarvis Landry, the wide receiver who had one completion at 158.3. The next one was Jimmy Garoppolo on first down passing on a quarterback rating, and he only had thrown 15 passes. And Russell Wilson was sitting there number three you know, with a quarterback rating like about 123. And it's like, so technically, on Forrest's first down passing, which is so different from what Seattle's seen in – the Pete Carroll days, you know, he's like the number one first down passer. No, oh, yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, they're like I'm looking at it now. If we if we isolate to 
to like when the game is still in question. So like look between like 20, when the win probability is between 20 and 80%, early down passing, the Seahawks are doing it at the, you know, they're, they're dropping back to pass at the third highest rate in the league. I mean, it's just like a, such a stark shift for that team. And it, and it, and it really changes everything. I mean, that was the thing, like, after, when people ask, like, after week one, right, they're always, you know, everyone wants to know, are we overreacting, underreacting? And the thing I felt like with Seattle was, and I know it's easy to say this now, but, uh, but the thing I felt like with Seattle at the time was, if this is what they're doing, this is a, this is a dramatic change from what we would have expected from the Seahawks team, and it, and it dramatically improved the outlook for them. So, uh, it's really incredible what's, ha- what's happening there, and it's it's working obviously incredibly well. Well, and of course, I mean, uh, and kind of go through this exercise right now because I mean, one of the things that you follow is free snap motion, and uh, I mm-hmm. think you had uh, Seattle like about fifteenth for pre snap motion. But take us through you know, the dramatic change because you know I I know from talking to coaches and that that uh, and watching personnel moves that there was going to be such a move to you know copy a lot of the running outside uh, zone stuff of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. And I think mm-hmm. the numbers have been so dramatically different, you know, from like four years ago to now. So give us the pre-snap snap motion ideas. Yeah, so you're right. Like if you look at the league-wide trend for pre-snap motion, it's just like trends up. And especially what I'm talking about is motion at the snap. So now we're a guy, well, not a shift, where a guy moves in motion, comes set, then they snap. But like when the when the man is literally you know, in motion at the time of snap, that's where we see like a, a, quanti- a quantitative effect, quantifiable effect. Last year, I, I did a story on this because uh, I noticed that the Rams were doing, or that we noticed the Ravens were, were running motion at the snap at a really high rate. And, and I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. And we looked at it and like, indeed, it, this is an advantage. Even if we controlled for, for the fact that the Ravens are really, really good. If we look league wide, we saw, wow, this is a, this is an advantage. And in fact, when the, the Ravens played the Rams last year and they, they blew them out and Sean McVay in his post-game press conference said the motion that the Ravens used, it just caused so many, so much, so many problems for us with our run fits, right? Cause you're all of a sudden a guy's moving across the formation and defenders are having to adjust and it affects, it affects their run fits. So Yes, it's a. I think it is a offensive advantage. More teams are taking advantage of it, so you're seeing just more of it across the league. Um, and and yeah, we have Seahawks kind of middle of the pack. Earlier in the year, they were doing a little bit more on run plays, but I'm looking at it now. Even on run plays, they're kind of middle of the pack. Uh, it's like we've got um, 17% of the time on run plays, but that's better than nothing, right? I mean, there are some teams out here that are doing it three, four, 5% of the time. So you've got to take those edges when they become available. No doubt. And of course, where that changed the game. And I think Matt rule was the first person to bring this up after he got the Carolina Panther job is that just like he sees in college, you need a positionless player and a guy that uh, can be versatile enough and has the range to be able to play either a linebacker, strong safety, free safety, slot cornerback to chase down some of these motion plays. And that's why, like Seattle, even though he's injured right now, Jamal Adams has been so valuable, where Mika Fitzpatrick has been so valuable. Uh, Derwin James, before he was hurt, was so valuable because now you have these guys that can rush in, chase some people down, where the old box safety was usually a slower guy. That's not the case now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you're t- and because of the, and like the whole, 
advantage is that what's going to happen is that, you know, all of a sudden assignments shift, right? And they're happening in a blink of an eye. And so you're going to need someone who's going to be, uh, like you said, faster because maybe they're going to be a little bit out of position. Maybe they're going to be, maybe that everyone's just reacting as it's happening right there live. And so, yes, when you get someone like an Adams who can help, help in that regard, I think that makes a big difference. Now, one of the things I know you had last week, which caught everybody here in Seattle surprised, uh, you know, you were breaking down as you do each week, you know, the pass blocking and the winning percentages of the pass blockers. And you stunned everybody by having Seattle number five. I don't know where they were after this past game, but uh, that's that's one of the bigger surprises because I know pro football focus rightfully for so many years has called this one of the worst lines in football. And, you know, they haven't been too, too wrong, but uh, tell us what you're seeing as far as the offensive line here. Yeah. So uh, you're talking about the, the pass blocking. Yeah. Pass blocking. Pass winning blocking. percentage. Pass on blocking. Pass blocking. Yeah. Yeah. So with the pass blocking. Uh, yeah. We have Seattle at six right now, which, which I know is, is a, is a little surprising. The first thing I ever looked at when we came out with our pass blocking metrics, which are basically the key is the key with them is is the is the offensive lineman sustaining his block for two and a half seconds. So we basically absolve the lineman after two and a half seconds and say after that point, which is uh, roughly the average time to pass, after that point uh, it's on the quarterback. Everyone's going to get beaten eventually. And what we saw at the time, this was two years ago, was the, like that that the Seahawks were having like an average offensive line, no the perception was that they were one of the worst. And the thing was that we were seeing was that, well, yeah, Russell Wilson is under pressure a lot, but that's because he was holding the ball and inviting that pressure. The Seahawks offensive line back then was doing a kind of average job of holding off their guys for two and a half seconds. Now we're, now we've seen them jump up into the, into the top 10 for the Seahawks. That's not a problem. Russell Wilson holding the ball. I want to like, I want to be very clear about that. Like he's incredible at improvising, at dealing, you know, inviting pressure and then, and then making something that, you know, magic happen out of it. But it causes, I think, a perception of Seattle's offensive line to always look worse than it is. Uh, yeah, we have them, we have them sixth still. So it is, uh, it is pretty incredible uh, in that regard uh, to see, to see Seattle up there. Uh, and, and I think it's, by the way, very possible that, like, in those previous those previous years where we don't have metrics, that Seattle's offensive line was really bad, right? But but I think that it because of Wilson's style play, it always looks a little bit worse than uh, than it may be. Yeah, I think in the Dallas game, which of course goes to your your metrics and all the different stuff on the Cowboys, uh, particularly a defensive tackle, that uh, I think NextGen had them at 3.41 seconds as far as Russell on his uh, release time. 3.41, wow. which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's like preposterously preposterously long uh, for an for an average time. Yeah, that really does speak to to what what's happening in Dallas. Okay, going for another trend here, and this is one that I've been on <clears throat> all season. You know, in the NFC, you have 12 quarterbacks making 21 plus million dollars. Okay, you have 11 of them who have been to the Pro Bowl, and one in Jimmy Garoppolo who uh, went to the Super Bowl. He didn't even go to the Pro Bowl yet. And of course, now you add Nick Foles, who actually was in the Super Bowl and beat Tom Brady, and now beaten them twice. And so, if you're an <laughs> NFC defensive coordinator, what uh, analytical thing do you say <laughs> you're in trouble? Oh wow! Yeah, no, I think I, I think you're right. I mean, uh, like I think you've got a pretty big problem 
because you're talking about yeah, like you're also having ascendancy. Like like Aaron Rodgers, well, not ascendancy, but Aaron Rodgers has not performed at, at quite Aaron Rodgers level over the past few seasons. But this year he is right. Like he's leading QBR. Uh, you've got Wilson, who's leading completion percentage over expectation. You've got uh, Kyler Murray, who is a threat to scramble on you at any time. Uh, you've always got like even even Matt Ryan, I think, is you know perennially underrated, not having a great season, but like we know that it's possible uh, that he can he can start lighting you up at, at any point. Drew Brees finally looks back to maybe being uh, the Drew Brees of the last last couple seasons. I don't have a great answer because you're talking about a variety of guys. Dak Prescott, of course. Uh, having a, having a nice year as well, trying to limp the Cowboys to to a couple of wins. I don't have a great answer because they're they're different quarterbacks, but I I agree with you that it is kind of a scary combination of guys uh, out there in in the NFC. Even Teddy Bridgewater, we've got in the top half of QBR. It's pretty good. Hey, so now how can everybody follow uh, Seth Walden and what the stuff is on ESPN analytics? Cause it's just great stuff. It's like, it, it, I guess you could probably say I haven't been following you in the stuff you've been putting out here this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, yes. Uh, at Seth Walden on Twitter uh, is uh, the easiest way to find me. And uh, we put, as so we put out our stuff every week, if you're interested in our win rates, you can find those on ESPN.com every Tuesday. We update those. Uh, we put all, you know, every team, all 32 teams on there, and then the top 10 players by position in each of our win rate stats. You can find those on ESPN.com, too. Yeah, well, of course, I find them amazing because to turn it around by Tuesday, because I know stats pass, it usually takes them till Wednesday, but to turn it around Tuesday is an incredible feat. Seth, great job, and thanks for educating us on Schooled with the Professor. No problem, but John, we have those li- we have those almost live. The win rates; those are those are all generated by. Oh, they're our, live. You know, okay. Shoulder. We can we can do one game per time. We can do one game at a time live. So, like if it's a, if it's Monday Night Football, we can have it live, and then everything else will have a few hours after the game. Uh, but but yeah, we can we can actually have live win rates for uh, for like one of the standalone games. Well, that's fantastic. Hey, Seth, thank you so much. Thank you, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.